When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 18, and we are recording on Tuesday, March 1st. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. This is the third time <laughs> we have started recording this show, because I've been having some technical difficulties. It's going to so work. Hopefully, they yes. say that third time is the term, right? I feel good Knock about on, this. Sure. Let's, I'm knocking on every piece of wood mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. vicinity, which is really just this bookcase. Oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. So let's just whatever. Let's just jump. Yeah. In. Let's launch we're both right six, in. So we're gonna we're gonna do it to it. All right. I, this this first question is my favorite. It's about space. Wait, wait, wait. Do we need to tell people what? how to submit questions before we oh, launch gosh. into them? Yes. Can you tell I've taken like eighteen dayquils <laughs> and I don't know where I am. I've forgotten my name. Okay. So the, the way that this podcast works is if you have a reading recommendation that you need for yourself, for your book club, for a gift you want to give to someone doesn't matter. You send them in to us and we answer them on the show. So you can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop your question into the form at the bottom of every post for Get Booked that is on the site. Um, so if you just go to bookriot.com, scroll down and all of the podcasts have their own little section on the homepage and just click on Get Booked. Any of the episodes, the form is down there at the bottom. So uh, if you need us to tell you what your book club should read next or you read a book that you loved and you want to read something just like it, whatever, doesn't matter. Get as granular and specific as you want, and we will find a way to answer your question. If we don't personally have an answer, we will take your questions back to the Book Riot contributors, of which there are over 100, and they read everything, and we will find a recommendation for you. So, that is how you submit questions to us. Okay. Here we go. Question one. <laughs> yeah, this is, here we go. All right, um, let's see. I listen to all the Book Riot podcasts, and I follow many writers on Twitter, but I've never felt the need to write in until now, and I blame you. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. I recently took advantage of the Audible sale in Mary Roach's books, and after having heard Rebecca rave about them in several venues, I thought I should dive in. So I tweeted her for recommendations, and the one she mentioned was Packing for Mars. I blew through it and loved it. And afterward, as I listened to other Mary Roach books, I realized there was a space-shaped hole in my heart. So I read The Martian. I've been meaning to get to it for a while, and I needed to read it before the movie came out anyway. And it was so good, but now I'm stuck. Um, I'm currently reading Randall Monroe's What If and loving it. It's scratching the right itches, but I need more space, fiction or nonfiction. Can you help? Sincerely, Lost in Space. Not really. I'm actually Jennifer in Florida, but I've always wanted to sign something that way. (laughs) That's great. That's great. So that's Jennifer. Did you pick two novels? No, I did not. Oh, okay. I think one I don't novel the second and one, one not novel, which is also known as nonfiction when you're not heavily medicated on cold medicine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one novel and one truthy thing. Yes. All right, you go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. My non-truthy thing, as we are now <laughs> calling it, is um, my, my novel recommendation for you is Red Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson. It is a classic, um, and Kim Stanley Robinson is great. I've enjoyed reading him for years. The one time I got to meet him, he was delightful, so I always am excited to recommend him. Um, and the Red Mars books, it's like supposedly there's a trilogy, but there's like actually a million of them. Um, but Red Mars is the first in the Mars trilogy, and it is all about a team of who, who a team of I don't know if you can call them astronauts if they're on their way to terraform. Like, are they still astronauts? I'm not sure. 
colonists? Maybe yeah, colonists. Colonizers? There you go. A team that is setting out to terraform Mars and like be the first colonists slash, you know, inhabitants. Um, and they are obviously this is not an easy thing to do. Um, and they're like the tech is really interesting. Like there's giant satellite mirrors and like dust in the atmosphere, and there's this like giant plan to make it habitable. Um, and of course they're people, so some of them are friends, some of them are not friends, some of them are gonna fall in love with each other, um, friendships and rivalries and all of that good stuff. Um, and it is, as I said, the first in a series, so there's lots more where that came from. And the book is like I I don't know, 600 pages long. It's a good, nice, hefty chunk of space. Hefty chunk of space. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So my first pick is Death by Black Hole and Other Cosmic Quandaries by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And this is probably my favorite book, our favorite, um, yeah, nonfiction book about space. It's a collection of 42, I think, 40 or 42 essays that he wrote for Natural History Magazine that have been put together into one book. And I had never heard of Natural History Magazine, so the likelihood of you having already read these is not large. Um, so each essay takes on a different aspect of space and then, and astrophysics. So um, in the title essay, he's talking about if you fell into a black hole, how exactly would you die? Like, what would that feel like? And what would happen to your body on an atomic level? And it's really fascinating and horrifying. And it like, gave me some weird dreams. Um, he has an essay in there about the damage that scientific inaccuracies in Hollywood films has on the science community. Uh, there's an essay about the history of the space race and how um, like the Cold War affected uh, our goals when it came to uh, exploration in space and just lots of different uh, aspects of space and space exploration and astrophysics. There's stuff in there about like gamma rays and weird sciencey stuff that I'd never heard of that I felt infinitely smarter after having read it. And if you're unfamiliar with Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's pretty, he's a pretty famous um, astrophysicist. I don't remember um, the first time, like he's got his own talk show. He's got a podcast. Um, he's really big on Twitter. He has millions of followers on Twitter where he's super famous for, like, poking holes in movies. Um, so maybe don't follow him if you have a thing about spoilers, because he doesn't care. Um, but he is really kind of, like, sarcastic and dry and has a really great sense of humor that I love deeply. So a lot of these essays are both informative and easy to read, but they're also really funny. And he was... Um, kind of mentored a bit by Carl Sagan, so you can see that in his writing. It's got a very, not democratic, but, uh, and it's not dumbed down either, but he's like, he's writing about these things for normal people who don't necessarily have an astrophysics background. Um, so you don't need to know if, you know, the the amount of knowledge you went into the Mary Roach books with is, signif is sufficient for going into this book as well. So that's Death by a Black Hole and Other Cosmic Quandaries by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, right. I forgot to say the title again. Oh, well. We'll do it for this one. Um, my truthy one, which is um, The Mercury 13, The True Story of 13 Women and the Dream of Space Flight by Martha Ackman. Um, it is like the true story about the secret group of women who underwent testing in hopes of being the first, America's first female astronauts. Um, and it was all secret. Like, it was totally secret. This is so interesting to me. So they did all <laughs> of the tests that the Mercury 7 astronauts did, um, but they were dismissed. And it was in the 1960s, and the U.S. was just, like, not there, despite the fact that the USSR sent its first woman into space in 1963. But it took us 20 more years, which is crazy. Um, mm -hmm. So, yes, Martha Ackman tells the story of the women, like, who they were, 
were, how they came to the space program, um, what they went on to do after passing the tests and then being benched anyway by NASA. Super interesting. Uh, really, really cool. And I think, you know, a lot of the space stuff out there is very doodly. So this is a mm-hmm. nice antidote to that. Uh, so that's, It is very doodly. Yeah, it's very doodly. Um, so that's the Mercury 13 by Martha Ackman. Okay, so my second pick for you is an astronaut's bleh, an astronaut. Oh my gosh, I won't say the word astronaut. <laughs> an astronaut's guide to life on Earth. Why can I not say the word astronaut today? Anyway, by Chris Hadfield. This is a memoir. Um, you might be familiar with Chris Hadfield from his YouTube channel that he had when he was in the International Space Station. Uh, I think two years ago, he got really kind of virally famous um, on YouTube for like playing Space Odyssey, uh, Oddity, the David Bowie song when he was on the space station and like cutting his hair and making a peanut butter sandwich and just doing things that people do in normal day to day life, but on a space station with no gravity and talking about, you know, the science behind um, why cutting your hair or clipping your toenails is difficult in space. And uh, anyway, so he, you might know him from all of that. This is half memoir, half kind of self-helpy, um, but not in a cheesy way, in an actual helpful, like an actual helpy way, um, book about his um, achievements, how he got to um, be on the International Space Station. He's from Canada, so it's um, a lot about the Canadian, like growing up in Canada and then their space program, which is not the same as NASA's. And then like coming to NASA and going to Russia to get up into the space station because we don't send, uh, we don't have rockets anymore here, obviously. Well, not rockets, but what's the, the space shuttle? We don't have the shuttle anymore. So astronauts who, when I go to the space station, have to go to Russia to do that. Anyway, so it's um, how he became an astronaut, which is a thing I've never really uh, read about before. And it, the process is just bananas like so many thousands of applicants get whittled down and whittled down and whittled down and there's so much testing and physical strain and mental strain and all this stuff and um so yeah it's really tough so that stuff is really interesting and then the rest of the book is about how astronauts are trained to solve problems and, re- and respond to crises and how he uses that in his normal day-to-day life to like raise his kids and have a marriage and go to baseball games and stuff like that so like they're taught to instead of visualizing success they're taught to visualize the worst possible thing that can ever happen ever and then work backwards from that step by step to prevent that from happening so they're always astronauts are always ready for the worst possible thing to happen at all times but there's a lot of peace in knowing that you know exactly what to do along every step of the way so that you're like always prepared for the worst but not in a in an anxious way in a like confident way because you know you can handle it um so it's kind of counterintuitive to a lot of stuff that you'll read in other kind of self-helpy books but much more practical uh much more interesting science-based and i love this i listened to it on audio which was really nice um he's got a nice reading voice and he is also on twitter Man, these these space guys, they give good Twitter. So that's uh, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, I said it right that time, by Colonel Chris Hadfield. Awesome. Space. I had I had a, like a nails on a chalkboard reaction to toenails in space that like oh, I'm so gives sorry. me the heebie-jeebies. Have you seen that YouTube video? No, but I've seen the you, Space Oddity one, which is amazing. It's so good. It's so he good. has to clip his, I, I won't say it, but he has to do that hygiene thing up against an air vent, oh. or they'll just go like floating off and get into the equipment. <laughs> and, like, can cause actual major damage oh to all of these billion-dollar pieces of equipment floating in space. So Crazy. It's the stuff you don't think about. No, not so much. 
<laughs> All right. Question two is a long one, so I'm going to paraphrase. Um, forgive me, Helen, for condensing. Uh, so Helen says, I'm trying to find LGBTQ literature with a happy ending for my best friend. She is extremely annoyed with not only lack of representation in the LGBTQ... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my, my, right? my cold medication is catching up with me. I can't mm. read. Just kidding. Um... Yes, so she's extremely annoyed with the lack of representation in the LGBTQ community and also annoyed that every time there is a story, it has a sad ending. Um, Helen then goes on to tell us some of the things that she likes and didn't like. Didn't love Maurice, didn't love Aristotle and Dante discovered the secrets of the universe. Um, she, she In high school, she loved Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey and Philippa Gregory. And they only agree on their love of Shakespeare. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Twilight, Fifty Shades, and Shakespeare. So, yes. But Helen says, I'm so lost, but I've made it my mission in life to find her gay books with happy endings she'll enjoy. Please help. Okay. So, here we are. We're here to help. Um, we are here to help. Okay, so my first pick for this is Everything Leads to You by Nina LaCour, which is a YA romance. Um, and I feel, like if she, I feel like if she likes Twilight, that kind of very sweet sort of romance uh, in young adult literature, then she'll like this. I love this book so much. It takes place in Hollywood. It's about a girl named Emmy. She's a teenager who works as a an intern um, as a set designer for a you know movie production studio. I don't know the right words for it. Um, <clears throat> she's a film buff. She loves romance. She loves old Hollywood, but like her real life romantic relationships are, are a mess. She's in this really on again, off again, kind of emotionally abusive almost relationship with an older girl who keeps breaking up with her and then taking her back and breaking up with her and taking her back whenever she feels like it. And so Emmy's really made a decision that she's going to like stand up for herself and be single and focus on her career and school and all of that. So she's trying to do that. Then she goes to an auction for a um, famous Hollywood star who has just recently died. He's supposed to be like a John Wayne figure. Uh, so she goes to an auction uh, or an estate sale at his house. Now that he's dead, his family's auctioning off the stuff in his estate. She's looking to pick up stuff for set design. And when she's there, she stumbles upon this like mysterious letter tucked into the back of a record. And the letter... Um, is to an old flame of this John Wayne character. So her and her best friend, Emmy and her best friend, go on this quest to find his old flame, and they meet a girl named Ava, who is somehow tied to the John Wayne character in a way that I'm not going to spoil for you. And Ava is beautiful. She has a really hard and difficult life. She's got, she comes from kind of an abusive family background. Um, she's homeless and is kind of working dead-end jobs and all of this kind of thing. And then uh, she meets... Emmy's friends and goes down this path to becoming kind of famous because she's beautiful and she's actually a very talented actress and all of this stuff. And then they start to kind of fall for each other and it's just really sweet and nice. And the ending is not unhappy. The ending is very happy. Um, and the thing I loved about this book, just, I mean, other than the nice happy ending, is that it's a really interesting look into like Hollywood behind the scenes kind of stuff, which I'm, you know, East Coast, best coast. I've never been to California. I don't know anything about set design or anything about how to make a movie. And so I liked that this was uh, a look into that whole world with which I have absolutely no familiarity. Um, so yeah, it's interesting and sweet and very heartwarming. And that is Everything Leads to You by Nina LaCour. 
Nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my first book <clears throat> for you is um, My Real Children by Joe Walton, which isn't like necessarily a super straightforward happy ending, but it is a happy book ultimately. Um, and it's a really interesting premise. So it's the year 2015, and the main character, Patricia Cohen, is like very old. Um, she lives in a nursing home, and she appears to have dementia. She doesn't know what year it is. She can't remember like what has happened most recently, but she remembers things things that also don't seem possible. Like, she remembers marrying a man and having four children with him, and she also remembers raising three children with her partner, B, who is a woman, instead. Um, she remembers a version of history in which President Kennedy was killed by a bomb in 1963. She remembers a version in which he wasn't killed at all. She remembers all of these things <clears throat> that, like, don't seem to be compatible, and she can't figure out which one is real and which one is not. And over the course of the book, you get all of these different snippets of her life all of her different lives. Um, and it's really well done. If you've read Life After Life, it's like not exactly the same kind of thing. Like that character just repeats her life over and over again. But this is kind of like, what's that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow? Sliding Doors, where like mm -hmm. whether she gets on or off the train at a certain moment changes the rest of her life. It's kind of like that, but you get both versions of her life. Um, and so it's really cool. And so she is bisexual um, in one of her... Uh, Marriage is with a man, one is with a woman. Um, she has two different kinds of careers. Um, who is she? Like, are, is is there settlements on the moon? Like, was one of her sons a rock star? Like, did she ever have that <laughs> son? Like, it's a really interesting kind of puzzle piece book. Um, and it's a really lovely um, sort of story about, like, what life can be in many different forms and um and yeah and what it's like you know also kind of addressing this like memory loss in, in old age which is a really interesting thing I don't know it's a really fascinating book I really think it's worth a read um especially because <clears throat> excuse me especially because of the character sexuality which is really done very well so that is My Real Children by Joe Walton Okay, so in the question, Helen mentions that her friend is bisexual, and so she really wants books that feature a bisexual female main character. And so I couldn't think of any. I could think of happy ending, books with happy endings that had lesbian characters, but not any bisexual characters. So I went to the uh, Book Riot internal social network and asked the contributors, and Amanda Deal, who's one of our contributors who also writes for Smart Bitches Trashy Books, which is an excellent romance um, blog, recommended The Superheroes Union, uh, and the subtitle is Dynama, D-Y-N-A-M-A. So The Superheroes Union, Dynama, and it's by Ruth Diaz. And this sounds so fascinating. So, um, the main character is named TJ, TJ Gutierrez. She's a woman who is a superhero. She used to be a superhero, but then she had twins. I have twins, so I'm, I'm already into this. Um, and after her twins were born seven years ago, she hung up her spandex, right? She's decided to just be a mom. And then her arch enemy, who is also her ex-husband, who is a villain, a supervillain named Singularity, breaks out of prison. And it becomes kind of evident that he's coming after her and coming after the kids. So Dynama is her superhero name. So she once again becomes Dynama. She calls the superhero nanny helpline to hire a nanny and so that she can go off and, you know, save the day. And Anne-Marie Smith is the nanny. Her job is to keep the world safe by guarding kids while their parents, who are superheroes, go off to fight evil. So Anne-Marie moves in uh, to TJ's house um, to take care of her children while she fights Singularity. And the way that, like, 
TJ puts her family first and is really like out there doing the thing, makes Anne Marie kind of fall for her a little bit. So there's a lot of chemistry, there's saving the world, um, there's saving, you know, children. There's a lot about this book that I think sounds really interesting. The fact that she's a mom and that the plot revolves around her keeping her kids safe. You don't see a lot of that in um, superhero fiction, especially, or, or anything really having to do with um, like heroes in general, like moms doing the thing by themselves. And so she is bisexual. She, her ex-husband is a man, obviously, and then she falls in love with the nanny, who is a woman. Um, and yeah, so that's, what was it? Superheroes Union Dynama. And it's the first in the series, so... There you go. That's by Ruth Diaz. That sounds amazing. I know, right? <laughs> when Amanda recommended it to me on Slack, she was like, would a book, would a novella about a superhero bisexual Latina woman fit? And I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Please give that to me right now. Send it to me. Awesome. <laughs> Send it to me, please. Okay, that's great. Um, my second pick for you is Safe Harbor by Radcliffe, which is a romance novel. Um, and... I don't know. You're guaranteed a happy ending with romance novels. That's what makes them so great. Um, and this is a really good one. I just finished reading it. And it's the first in a Provincetown Tales um, series. So it's about a woman who is ex-military. And she's the new like deputy sheriff for Provincetown which is known to be, like, a big lesbian and gay community. Um, and she's, like, you know, she's the sher- deputy sheriff. She's in a uniform. She's very attractive. She kind of seems mm. oblivious to all of it. And then there's a doctor in town, um, Victoria King, who had a terrible previous relationship and is just kind of, like, over it, not interested in getting involved with anybody again because she just really doesn't want to have to go through the breakup process again. And then, obviously, they meet, and sparks fly. And what's interesting about this is that one of the main characters, Reese Conlon, who's the deputy sheriff, is, like, not even, not necessarily bisexual. She's more asexual. Like, she's never been in a relationship before. She's just always kind of nose to the grindstone, and then, you know, she's in the military, and it wasn't exactly safe for her to be in relationships, no matter what kind. Um, But she obviously falls for the doctor, and them trying to figure out how they're going to be together, given who they both are, is just so cool to watch. Um, And there's this great subplot with the sheriff's teenage daughter, who is having her own life moment. Um, And it's a really lovely lovely story all around. So yes, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Safe Harbor by Radcliffe. All right. And it's, first sponsor? Yeah, time for our first sponsor, which is, yeah, it's for Burning Glass by Catherine Purdy. Um, and if you are a YA fan, especially, you should pick up your ears here. So it is about a girl named Sonia who was born with the gift to feel what people around her are feeling, both physically and emotionally. Um, so that's one hell of a burden to bear. And she's managed yeah. to keep it. Like, can you imagine? That sounds awful. Um, we are so mean to main characters in books, especially Mm -hmm. YA. Anyway, she's kept it a secret for 17 years, um, and then there is a tragic accident that reveals her secret, and so now she has to go be the Orisir um, to the Emperor to, like, you know, weed out would-be assassins and help keep him safe. Um, And she's trying to, like, gone from, you know, hiding her abilities to now having to use them in a palace surrounded by other people. Not easy. Um... 
And she's kind of adrift in the world all alone. So she, of course, is, you know, trying to find allies where she can. Um, and she has sort of feelings slash relationships with both the emperor, who is a charming, but, you know, sort of not a good guy, um, and his idealistic brother. And then on top of all of that, there is a potential revolution brewing. So Sonia has to deal not only with the politics, but her crazy gift, and then her feelings for both the emperor and her brother, his brother, excuse me. Uh, so yes, that is a potent mix of 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 uh, obstacles for our heroine to hurdle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're calling it a sort of Red Queen meets Shadow and Bone. If you Ooh. liked either of those books, I know, right? That's a good. That's a good pitch <laughs> right there. And also, I have to say, I just love this cover. There's this. I don't know if it's that new. Um, maybe in the last five years, trend in YA, where instead of like getting the headless girl with her back turned to you in a dress, you get like a focus object. Like Cinder is a good example of this, or yes. the Red Queen. Like there's just like this one super powerful object um, image on the cover, and this. Burning Glass has that as well. Um, so you should definitely go and check it out. We'll drop a link in the show notes to Epic Reads where you can find out more and um, even read some of the book. Uh, there's an excerpt on there. So thank you to Burning Glass by Catherine Purdy for being our first sponsor. All right. So question three. This is from Christina. I am in search of post-apocalyptic novels. The only that I have read was A Boy and His Dog, and I loved it. Looking to read more in this genre as well, and she wants something specifically that will have good talking points for her book club. So that is from Christina. So I'll go ahead and go first, because you just did a lot of talking. Rest your voice, girl. (laughs) Okay, so my first pick for this is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, which was a big, huge hit when it came out, I think, last year? Was it last year? Yeah, a year and a half ago, maybe. Yeah, time runs together. Mm -hmm. Um, So the premise of this novel is that a big flu has swept the world and killed pretty much everyone. So, you know, a huge portion of the population. Civilization, as we know it, is over and done with and gone. Um, So the but the novel takes place mostly 15 years after that. You do get flashbacks and stuff. So you can actually see like the epidemic spreading and the world ending. But most of the book takes place 15 years into the future um, and follows mainly a girl named Kristen and her troop of what's called the Traveling Symphony. They're a Shakespearean troupe that travels between the um, villages and communities of survivors that are peppered throughout, you know, the nation. It takes place in the U.S., but that are peppered all over, and they perform Shakespeare plays um, for the survivors. And on the caravan, like on the side of their caravan, they've put a line from Star Trek, um, which is because survival is insufficient. And so that's kind of the point of this book is that, you know, survival's not enough you still need all of these things that kind of feed your soul. And so the, they um, arrive at a, one new community. Well, it's not new. They've been to this community before. They're going back to do another performance. Um, but a kind of very dangerous prophet-like figure has arisen and taken over the community. And um, when people leave, he, like, digs graves for them. And he's very violent and creepy and weird. And so they stay for, like, a hot second. And then they turn around and hightail it out of there. And then the prophet follows them. And they have to deal with that. And there's a lot of, um, you know, conflict there. Another community has set up in an old airport and it had they have like a museum of the old civilization with like 
everybody's cell phones and credit cards. And that's really interesting. Um, and it goes back and forth in time. So you go back to before the epidemic to see like the origins of some of the characters and their backstory. Then you go up to the epidemic. Then you go fast forward into 15 years in the future. And then as the book concludes, all of these threads come together and you figure out how everybody knew each other in the life before. And Emily St. John Mandel, I saw her um, speak at the Penn Faulkner Awards, um, where her book was uh, on the shortlist. And she said that it was the Station Eleven is really a love letter to modern living, which it really is, um, about all of the things that, if this ever were to actually happen, if, you know, civilization were ever to come to an end for some reason, all the things that we would miss. And it's not about life being easier or, um, you know, us not having to think or us not having skills or whatever in modern life, but about how it, like, like how the internet connects us, how all these things that we have now make it so much easier for us to develop these really deep and meaningful relationships and thought and have like thoughtful ideas and, and things like that. So it is a love letter to modern living. There's a lot to talk about in this book. Um, there are a lot of things that characters do that seem like, you know, if they did it in The Walking Dead, you'd be like, um, waste of time. You're supposed to be trying to survive now, you know, but, <laughs> but you know, like, why are you, you should be planting corn or something. Um, but in this context, it's very much like, you know, I think that's how people would actually react. I think some people would, would organize a traveling troupe of Shakespeare performers who also are really good at shooting guns. Um, to go around and like just make people feel better. I think that would actually happen. So anyway, you can talk, talk about whether or not this is a good representation of how people would act um, after the end of the world. So yeah, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Such a good book. Such a, so good. Such a good book. Okay, um, my first pick for you is Mort by Robert Rapino. This is a book without any people in it, pretty much. Um, <laughs> the main character is a cat assassin, and he is um, sort of a participant in this war with no name um, where human extinction is the goal. Um, and the war has been started by a colony of intelligent ants who have been building up to this for thousands of years. They're getting ready to destroy humankind. Um, and <laughs> I like love talking about this book. Um, <laughs> it's so great. So yes, so the ants are convinced that like if they can just get rid of humans, there will be no more violence or exploitation or religious superstition. Like everything will be great. Um, it's kind of hard to argue with that in certain. I was about to say they're not wrong, right? Like especially in election wrong. year, you're like, yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> So, um, but the colony uses its technology to transform surface animals into, like, functioning, intelligent beings who are going to rise up and kill their, ma their masters. So Mort used to be a house cat, and now he's a war hero. Um, and really, like, it looks like he's, like, taking on all these dangerous missions and fighting and all of this stuff. But really what he's trying to do is find his pre-transformation best friend, a dog named Sheba. Um, and so they were separated, and he's trying to find the, the, his friend um, and he gets a mysterious message from the human resistance that says like Sheba's alive and so now he's trying to find out what's going on and he might he's got to interact with the humans um, and feel like and try to figure out like what is going to happen to the world it's like a big tangly intense 
war book about a cat. So <laughs> there is tons to talk about in terms of book club stuff. Um, and also really enjoyable, fascinating, interesting book. Like there's a lot of good things happening here. So I, I think that would be an interesting choice. So that's Mort with like an E on the end in parentheses. You'll see um, in the show notes uh, by Robert Rapino. Fun fact there. I think it's Eric Smith has a blurb on the back of the paperback. Um, oh, yeah? Um, Which just that, came yeah. out. Just came out. Yeah, it just came out. So one of our Bookwright contributors is blurbed on the back of this book, if you get the paperback edition. Which I don't you know should. if it says his name or if it says Bookwright, but either way, mm-hmm. it's there. <laughs> Stamp like of it. approval. Yeah. Deed. Okay, so my second pick for you is Who Fears Death by Nettie Korafor. And this takes place in post-apocalyptic, post, I think, nuclear holocaust, um, sub-Saharan Africa. And it follows a woman named Anya Sanwu. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right, so please forgive me if I'm not. It's uh, in Igbo. But she is the child of a mother who is um, from one ethnic group and her father's from another ethnic group. And her father's ethnic group has been raping and murdering, pillaging and committing genocide against her mother's ethnic group. And so she is the child of rape and she is, she bears the um, physical marks of that. Like you can, because of her skin color and the way that she looks, she is notif- she is noticeably the child of rape. And so she's treated very poorly by the members of her community for that reason. Um, her gender also means that she's got all of these huge magical abilities. She's a shapeshifter. She's very powerful, but because she's a woman, the only, f- the only functional sorcerer in her village is unwilling to teach her how to control her powers. Um, then her, her magic, she's so powerful that she's kind of, kind of can't control uh, her abilities. And so her neighbors start to kind of be really scared of her and they hate her. Then the man who raised her dies and her powers manifest in this really huge way at his funeral. She has this big emotional reaction, obviously, to the man who raising her dying. And so um, they manifest in this way that scares people. So there's like a mob forms. She has to flee to the desert to avoid uh, the mob and also to seek her nemesis, who is her father, her biological father, the man who raped her mother and sired her and has been trying to kill her ever since he realized that she was born a woman. Um, So she goes on this quest to, it's like this multifaceted quest, find biological father and kill, escape mad, scary mob who wants to kill me. Also, end genocide. So she's got this big uh, list of to-dos as she goes off into the desert. She's accompanied by a couple of friends, the, um, her, her love interest, and also some camels that follow her around for, for reasons. I don't remember why. Also but the, some I do, camels is now. I distinctly the- remember camels. Yes, also some camels. Um, and so there is so much happening in this book. Obviously, there's rape, there's uh, ethnic cleansing, there's genocide, there's female genital mutilation, uh, which the main character has ha- has done to her, and it affects her her ability to do magic in a lot of ways. Um, so she has to deal with that. Um, there's patriarchy, uh, religious oppression, like so much happening here. There is so much to talk about um, in this book but it's tough so I don't know I mean if your book club is really sensitive uh, this might not be a great pick Uh, but if they can deal with reading about the tough stuff then this is this is going to produce so much conversation and it's such a great read and such a like richly imagined strange world but you can see um the the anchors to our world now you know which I feel like the best post-apocalyptic fiction does like you can see that how you can see how the world is changed in these bizarre and interesting and thoughtful ways but you can also see how 
um, you know, especially since this is set like hundreds of years into the future. So the the roots of some of the stuff that they believe and do in, in her societies are lost to these characters, but you know what they are. And seeing how she gets there is really fascinating. So uh, that's Who Fears Death by Nettie Okorafor. All right. So my second pick for you guys is the first book in the Earthseed series by Octavia Butler. Um, it's called The Parable of the Sower. And it's basically like... You know, our world, as it easily could be, there's a lot of environmental and economic stuff going on that could go very, very wrong. And in this book, it does. Um, and not e- to the point where not even gated communities are safe. And so in the middle of, you know, sort of her home being destroyed around her, uh, Lauren, uh, who is a minister's daughter, um, she loses her family in her home and she sets out on the road um, to try to find a safe place to be because nowhere appears to be safe anymore. But everybody's kind of fleeing in the same direction she's going to go to. Um, and this is on the happens on the West Coast, um, which is nice because I feel like so many things are like New York City or like, mm-hmm. you know, urban-y things. And this is not that. Um, and anyway, what starts out as like just a desperate sort of journey towards finding survival um, leads to something much, much more, and she's going to turn out to be pivotal in it. Um, And I don't know, Octavia Butler is just so good. Like, she's so, so good. And this feels like an actually very quiet sort of apocalypse novel. Like, it doesn't have, like, the big explosions and flashy aliens (laughs) and, like, all of the stuff that you might expect. Um, But it's really powerful and very moving and a really interesting sort of look at, like, what would it look like if everything was sort of unsettled and destroyed and then there was going to be a new religion born out of that, like what would it look like? Um, a new kind of faith. And so this is a very interesting book. I think there's a lot of food for discussion. So yes, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. All right. All right. Okay. For the, we're just blazing right along here. Um, okay. So our next question is from Brittany. Uh, she says, hi, I enjoy listening to your podcast each week and have added several books to my never ending to read list. Yes. Welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she says, my fiance and I are going on our honeymoon in April to Japan and I'd love some good fiction recommendations or memoirs to get me in the mood. Do you have any suggestions? We do. Do you want to go first? <laughs> in fact, yeah. Um, so congrats on your yeah, upcoming yeah. nuptials. Have fun on your honeymoon. So this, not my wheelhouse at all. This is a thing that I put up to the contributors, because I don't know. Um, actually, I was going to say the first one that Jen has here, and that was the only one I could come up with. <laughs> I so. stole it. <laughs> but she stole it, so it was just fine. Uh, I do that all the time. So I am going to give you two recommendations from our contributors. Um, the first one is called Hiroshima in the Morning. This is by... Rana Raiko uh, Rizzuto, and this was recommended by our contributor, Allison Peters. And so this is a memoir, autobiography, uh, about a girl, uh, not a girl, a woman, who is married. She's the mom of two boys, and she goes to Hiroshima to interview the few remaining survivors of the atomic bombing of World War II. Um, so it's her first time ever going off and doing a thing by herself uh, without her husband or, you know, her friends or someone coming with her. So she's like exhilarated because she's going to Japan by herself to do the thing. But the research starts off really poorly. The survivors are just giving her like the canned accounts that they've given everyone who's interviewed them. Because, of course, these people have been like interviewed to death since the uh, bombs in the 40s. And so they're not they're not helping. But then when she's there, September 11th happens. And that's, of course, a big, huge event that had, you know, ripples and effects that went all the way around the world. So the survivors start to um, kind of have 
flashbacks to their time while she's there with them to their their time immediately after surviving the bombings and they start opening up to her about that because of watching the footage of september 11th essentially she's kind of taking advantage a little bit of their ptsd i don't know not taking advantage that's the wrong way to put it but like she's there you know um, when this happens to them and so they start opening up to her at the same time that that's happening her family is falling apart she realizes that She's left her family and gone to Japan to do this thing, and she likes it. She likes being by herself. She doesn't know how she feels about being a wife and a mother. So she's dealing with these um, atomic bomb survivors, and she's also dealing with the dissolution and the crumbling of her marriage and her own ambivalent feelings about being um, a mom. So it's a novel. I mean, not a novel. It's a memoir about Japan. It's a little bit dark, but Allison says that um, there are there's a lot of really excellent sections, like beautiful writing about Japan itself, places to go, things to see, and stuff like that. While at the same time, you're seeing it from the perspective of this woman who's just going on an adventure for the first time, uh, which, you know, sounds like you're kind of going on an adventure too, getting married, going off, doing a thing. Uh, so yeah, so that's Hiroshima in the Morning by Rana Raiko Rizuto. Great. Yes. This question was not entirely in my wheelhouse either, and I don't know if you guys realize this when you send your questions, but basically every question that I have to, like, research for adds to my own never-ending to-be-read yeah. list. So yes, it does. It goes both ways. Um, <laughs> so my first pick for you is An Artist of the Floating World by Kazuo Ishiguro, who I haven't read this one of his, but I've read a bunch of his other books, and I love him. He's so good. Um... So yes, this one is about, he's writing the story about an artist who um, becomes a, a sort of propagandist for the for Japanese imperialism during the war. So, you know, he's a bohemian, he's like, you know, in the nightlife, he's in the art scene, and then um, during the war, he suddenly is like a tool of the government. So that's really hard. Um, and then the war ends, and Japan has lost. This is World War II, obviously. Um, Japan has lost. Um, his wife and sons have been killed, and the imperialist regime is like very much seen as to blame for the sort of collapse of the country now that the war is over and everything's kind of, I mean, they're kind of occupied and everything's kind of terrible. Um, and so what's left? for this man who has kind of lost his way um, in the course of this massive upheaval in his home country. Um, and this book uh, won a Whitbread Prize in 1968. Um, and you can tell it's like really something very close to Ishiguro's heart. Um, he was born in Nagasaki in 1954, and then he moved to England in the 60s. Um, and so I think it's a really interesting read. Um, would give you sort of a perspective on that, like whole tumultuous time, um, maybe get a sense of the history. So that's An Artist of the Floating World by Kat Okay, my second pick is called Hanzai Japan. Uh, this was recommended by our contributor Rachel Cardasco, and this is actually a short story anthology. The subtitle is awesome Fantastical Futuristic Stories of Crime from and About Japan. Um, so there are obviously tons of authors in this uh, anthology because it's a collection, and they are all about like weird stuff and crime and dark craziness happening. In Japan. So, uh, for example, there's a short story about a murderer who is serving out a sentence in hell. There is a short story about super wrestler or sumo wrestlers with supernatural gifts. Um, there's a vampire in a futuristic Tokyo uh, short story where they are doing forced labor. Uh, so a lot of, like feels very crimey, noiry sort of thing, um, or weird. So if you're at all into, like, weird fiction, this is probably right up your alley. But I like this pick, I like this recommendation because it's different. It's not just, like, my first one is, you know, girl goes to Japan and does a thing. Um, but this one is from 
Japanese authors, like most of the contributors to the anthology are Japanese authors. Some of them aren't, but most of them are. So you're getting the like an actual voice of people who live in Japan and are doing the thing. Yeah. So um, I haven't read it, obviously, since Rachel recommended it. So I, I can't speak to if it's too dark necessarily for for what you're um asking for but since it's an anthology like the the great the great and not great thing about anthologies obviously is that like there's no um one tone you know every short story is different so i i'm sure that um going into this you'll find some stories that you love and some that you don't but that's how it is with any short story collection or anthology so that's uh hanzai japan and i'm pretty sure hanzai means crime uh, in Japanese, but Hansai Japan, and the it's edited by Haikasoru. And I hope I said that right. Sorry if I didn't. <laughs> uh, the eternal apology. The eternal apology. Um, during the course of my research, I stumbled across this next book and got super excited because I really love... Um, like uh, memoir projects that are also sort of oral history, folk researchy things. Um, and that's what this is. It's Memories of Silk and Straw. The author is uh, Junichi Saga. And um, what he did was he spent a bunch of time going around to interview like small town people's lives. Um, and they're all born in the early years of... Um, the 1900s. So this was published in 1990. So it's a much older book. Um, but so he went around interviewing people who were born in the early 1900s and so have seen both old Japan and like the huge changes that have happened. Um, and so they, he interviewed them all about like what their lives used to be like, what their lives are now. Um, and it's such an interesting sort of cross section. Um, like there's a small town doctor or no, excuse me, the researcher is a small town doctor. And then, um, he interviewed like a blacksmith and a tofu maker and an undertaker and a gangster and, you know, a butcher and a magistrate's wife and just all of these people from all different walks of life. Um, and they're all sort of organized around this one town and, um, suburbs, North east of Tokyo. And so uh, it's a originally like recorded interviews that were then collected and printed. Um, and the author's father um, painted illustrations to go with it. So like it's a really like, oh, I just love when these books are like all of these different pieces come together to make like a beautiful artifact. Um, so I think that would be a fascinating read, um, especially because it's from like such a specific time period of change. Um, so yes, that's Memories of Silk and Straw. Uh, Self-Portrait of Small Town Japan by Junichi Saga. All right, so we're going to do our second sponsor really quickly, and it is A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Caballero, and this is so in my wheelhouse. So this is a Sherlock Holmes story, except not even at all that, not that at all. So uh, the main character is Jamie Watson, who is the great, great, great grandson of Dr. John Watson, who has won a, a rugby scholarship to a Connecticut uh, prep school. Uh, the difficulty there is that Charlotte Holmes, who is the great, great, great granddaughter of Sherlock Holmes, also goes to that prep school. And the two oh of them God. are not buddies. <laughs> they Amazing. do Amazing. Right? I know. They have a, they have a, what the publisher copy calls a complicated relationship. Um, <laughs> so while they are at school, a student dies. And the clues le uh, that are found um, in the circumstances surrounding this death uh, echo details of Sherlock Holmes's original crime. So, 
obviously everybody thinks that Jamie and Charlotte are somehow involved. They become prime suspects in the death and they have to join forces to kind of conduct their own investigation and solve the crime and get the, um, you know, uh, what is a suspicion off them. The thing about the, this is that Charlotte, who is Sherlock's great, 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 great granddaughter, is a lot like him. So she's she's a genius. She's really acerbic. She's, um, you know, smart and completely unlikable. She's prickly in the same way that Sherlock is. It sounds a lot like the Sherlock of the BBC show in that, like, kind of pseudo-sociopathic, has no real social skills, but is super smart, so people kind of like him, despite their not wanting to because he's such a jerk sort of a thing. And doing that with a female character is really interesting because female characters aren't allowed to be that way. You know, like, in the history of prickly geniuses in literature, they're pretty much all dudes. Case in point, Sherlock Holmes. Um, so a book that does that with a girl is I Am Here For It. And it's the first in a trilogy, so there will be more adventures of jo- of Jamie Watson and uh, Charlotte Holmes. Uh, and they're, you know, going to school, solving crimes, hating each other maybe, having a complicated relationship uh, in the future. So that's A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Caballero. And I think that's out now. So go check that out, and there will be a link in the show notes if you want more info. Okay, question five. This is from Sherry, and she says, My dad loves westerns, either watching John Wayne on TV or reading cowboys in a Louis L'Amour novel. I'm sure he's read most, if not all of them. Yes, they, yes. Um, <laughs> my grandfather, also, all of them. All of them. It seems like people who like Louis L'Amour, like just, they just read the whole, all his entire over, whatever. Okay, I find it difficult to find newer westerns, especially ones that are reminiscent of the old western movies that my dear old dad loves. Do you have any titles or authors that I can explore and pick out for dad? So that's from Sherry. Go, girl, go! Yeah, I love westerns also. This question is very exciting for me. Um, <laughs> so my first pick for you is Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart, which is actually the first in a series. Um, and it's based on a true story. Um, it's about Constance Cop, who is a, it's K-O-P-P, um, just to specify, um, because it's going to sound funny in a minute when I say that she is one of the nation's first female deputy sheriffs, an OG cop. Um, and so, so Constance Wright, she's obviously not a typical female, she is very tall. She is completely uninterested in marriage. She doesn't know how to do needlepoint. She has, and on top of it all, she's been isolated from the world um, because she and her sister were sent into hiding 15 years ago. Um, there's a family secret that led to that happening. So, um, but then, of course, as with everybody who's in hiding, one day you come out because a thing happens. Um, and so a, a, their family farm is attacked um, by a belligerent and like just terrible human being, um, who also happens to be the owner of a silk factory. Um, and the sheriff enlists Constance's help in getting a conviction. Um, and so not only is she having to deal with this stuff that's going on for her family, but also deal with her past. And she's a woman in 1914, in the West, trying to do all of this. So it's a really interesting kind of new, fun um, addition to the Western canon. Amy Stewart is great. I love her so much. She's an amazing writer. Um, and she, her first book, oh gosh, what was it called? She She's done this series of really interesting book about plants and insects and things. So she's a, like, a, she's sort of a nature observer. Um, and so... Like, she brings all of that sort of care and interest in the natural world to her fiction as well, which is really great. So, yes, that is Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart. 
Okay, my first pick for this was The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt, which came out a few years ago. And this uh, obviously takes place in the West in the 1800s. And you're following two brothers whose last name is Sisters, so they're the Sisters Brothers, who are (laughs) assassins for hire. (laughs) Uh, So they're assassins for hire, and you're following them on what one brother hopes is their last gig. He kind of wants to get out of the game, settle down, marry a nice girl, doesn't even have to be a nice girl, marry a girl, um, and have a life that doesn't involve constantly killing people and going on the run. His brother, however, is not so much with the quitting and would like to continue. He enjoys their life and their, um, you know, adventures and all that. So one of them wants this to be the last gig, one of them not so much. So their last gig is to go find and kill a man named Herman Kermit Warm, who has developed a mysterious formula in the middle of the gold rush, so who knows what the formula is for, and has disappeared into gold rush California area. And so they have to go find him um, and kill him and hopefully bring the formula back to the person who has hired him. So, and, and then they just go off and do that thing. And there's just, you know, shenanigans ensue, as they do generally in Westerns. There are um, people who are trying to kill them. They have to kill people. There are very whack-a-doodle side characters who come and go throughout the book. Um, I can't really, like, the, to reveal more of the plot would be kind of spoilers, so I'm not going to do that. But the the greatest thing about this book is the voice of the narrator, and the narrator is the brother who would like to quit. And so every time something happens that, like, embroils them farther and farther into the dark, seedy underbelly of the West during the gold rush, he's he gets, like, more and more exacerbated and frustrated. But his voice is very, like, quiet and resigned in that western style where like he doesn't speak in contractions kind of a thing which is a thing that happens in true grid as well um but the way that they that he talks is just like you kind of just want to hug him like i guess i gotta go kill another one you know <laughs> like, he's, like he speaks like eeyore if eeyore were a 19th century western assassin then that would be this book um so it's got weird heartwarming moments but it's very much of that old western style of um cowboys and you know guns shooting them up that kind of thing so yeah that's the sisters brothers by patrick dewitt yeah i co-signed that recommendation i love that book um okay so my next pick he may have already read it but just in case um it's true grit by charles portis uh you may be familiar with the movie which i thought was excellent um it's about a young girl named Maddie Ross who is um, from Arkansas, and she is like looking back on this thing that happened to her um, when she was fourteen, um, and she wanted to avenge the murder of her father, which you are not really allowed to do as a girl of fourteen, especially not in the eighteen seventies. Um, and so she goes off and tries to find. Um, a, she's like looking for the meanest, like most dedicated marshal she can find she finds rooster cogburn um i love him so much he's so great (laughs) (laughs) um and so she's 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 like convinces him the scene where they like first meet is one of my favorite things um she convinces him that she's gonna tag along as he tries to find the person who killed her father um and then obviously hijinks ensue um (laughs) It's really great. She is 
so spunky and full of moxie. And the world that she's working in is so just, I mean, gritty and terrible and awful. Um, and bad things happen to all of them. Um, and not a cheerful book, but a really entertaining one. When I first read this book, I had only seen the movie and I laughed so hard so many times, but it's also like a very serious book, but it has a, it has a nice sense of humor to it to balance it all out. Um, so yeah, he's probably already read it, but just in case True Grit by Charles Portis is so good. Maddie is one of my favorite characters. Oh, she's so amazing. Of, of literature. Like her jokes about being a Methodist yes. and uh, she's just I when I when the um when the movie came out, I heard the book uh compared to Huck Finn. Like it's it's Huck Finn with the girl character, but that's completely wrong. Yeah. Huck Finn is kind of dumb, right? right? Like he's entertaining and funny, but he's dumb. But Maddie is like knowing and smart and she's sharp and, and she's hard so sassy. and I love her. Yes. And, like, the way that she, like, gets people to do things for her is just, oh, my mm-hmm. God, it's delightful. Yep. <laughs> you have one more. Do you want to do oh, that? Or? Did you do? Okay, I'll, I'll do I another. I have two. Okay, yeah. right, right. Um, so my other pick for you is uh, Ceremony by Leslie Marmon Silco, um, which, obviously, most of the Westerns you get are from the cowboy's perspective. This is not. Um, it's about a young Native American named Tayo who was a prisoner um, during World War II. Um, he was captured by the Japanese, um, and he is now back on the reservation that he grew up on um, and is struggling with sort of the aftermath. So this is obviously not like a old school Western. This is a more modern Western story. Um, but I thought it might be appealing to him since he's read, like, obviously all of the old Westerns um, get something a little bit more contemporary. So, yes, so Tyru returns to the reservation. Um, he's trying to find a good way to be in the world, you know, suffering from PTSD and feeling alienated and trying to figure out what to do with his life. Um, and in the course of this, he starts to learn more about his own people's past um, and, like, the, you know, beliefs of um, his ancestors and the ancient stories and in the course of the search you know kind of discovers more about himself that helps to helps him deal with what is going on in his life so it's a really beautiful book um leslie marmon silko is amazing uh it's i think it would be an interesting addition to sort of round out both a different perspective and a different time frame so that's ceremony by leslie marmon silko all right last question all right here we go. Do you want me to read it? No, I got it. I got it. Okay. All right, um, all right. So the question is, sorry, there's like a lot of preamble, which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> but yes. Okay. So, the, so Laura says, I love Rainbow Rowell and all of her books. Uh, and she says she spent one New Year's Eve with Eleanor Park and the other with Landline, both excellent choices. Um, this year I've already read and loved Carry On and I don't know what to do. Could you please recommend me books that are as heartwarming as hers? Usually I'm not a YA reader. I don't like John Green, for example, but I really enjoy Rainbow's <laughs> style of writing. Um, right now I'm reading Signal to Noise that was recommended by Rincey Reads and I'm enjoying, but not quite as much as Rainbow. All right, we have recommendations for you. I'm going to go first. Um... So my first pick for you is Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones, which if you haven't read is the best. We like to call this book like a comfort read or it's like it's like having chicken soup when you're sick. It's like super just perfect. Um, it's about a girl named Sophie who is the eldest of three daughters um, and she like knows she lives in a world where fairy tales are like sort of real and she knows like the oldest daughter if she leaves home always fails in her quest. So she's like why should I leave home? I'm just going to stay home and be the quiet eldest daughter and do those things. Um, But she accidentally 
offends a witch um, and gets put under a terrible spell that transforms her into a super old lady. Um, and her only chance to break it is to find the wizard Howl and get him to reverse the enchantment. Um, and of course, nothing is as simple as you would think it would be. It's a really funny, sweet book. Um, it's totally heartwarming. The characters are great, along with Howl, the wizard, who is not at all what you think he's going to be when the book first starts out. Um, there's a fire demon named Calcifer. Um, the Witch of the Waste, you know, comes back and the big fight is really epic. Um, and she, the way that Howl and Sophie interact, because she's like, she's a little old lady, um, except that she's not on the inside, but on the outside. And so she just like takes it as license to be like as crankety, cranky and crutchy <laughs> as she ever wanted. Yes. <laughs> and it, the Excellent, results are good. amazing. So yeah, uh, Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones, which is just a delight to read. Okay, so my first suggestion is not a book so much as an author. Her name is Jenny Hahn. She writes realistic YA um, in the same sort of vein as Rainbow Rowell. And Rowell like towel. Yes, am I saying that I, right? That's yes. how I say it. I hope that's right. That's right. It's Rowell like towel. I, I was called to roll for forever. Anyway, oh, it's Rowell yeah. like towel. Um, so Jenny Hahn, let's see. The first book in the... Um, the first book of hers that I think you would like is To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is about a girl named Laura Jean who doesn't openly admit when she has a crush on a boy, but she writes him a letter about why and how she loves him, and then she hides it in a box. But then one day she realized that someone has found her box and taken her box and mailed all of the letters that were in her box. So all of the crushes um, from her entire life now have letters about how much she loves them. And so then she has to learn to do, uh, deal with that. Another book of hers I think you might like is The Summer I Turned Pretty, which is about a girl named Belly. Every summer she goes off to a summer house with her family and her family's um, like best friend family, if that makes sense. You know how like your parents have best friends and then they have kids and then you end up like growing up with those kids, that sort of thing. Um, so her best friend family has two sons, Jeremiah and Conrad. And so every summer all of these families come together and Belly's had a crush on one of the boys since she was a kid. Um, and then this summer she turns pretty, as said in, you know, the title. Uh, she starts to grow up, and both boys notice her at once, and so she's got to kind of deal with that. So, and both of the books, To All the Boys I Loved Before and The Summer I Turned Pretty, are the first in a, in serieses. Um, so you can continue on. There is more where that came from if you enjoy Jenny Han. So that's my first recommendation. It's an author, Jenny Han. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Um, yeah. I confess that most of the way I read is not particularly heartwarming. It's like super dark and twisty. <laughs> so I did a little research and consulted the expert, or at least the person I consider an expert, Preeti Chibber, um, one of our uh, contributors at Book Riot and also a um, contributing editor at Panels. Um, and she recommended Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli, um, which is about Simon who is 16 and like definitely in the closet gay um nobody knows and he is um active in the school musical which is like adorable um and uh he sends this email and it falls into the wrong hands and now he thinks he's going to be outed um not by choice um so he and then on top of it he's being blackmailed so if he doesn't do this thing um everybody's going to know and on top of it the person who he was emailing and who what makes it clear that he's gay um who they call blue in the course of the story um that's the boy's pen name um that person will also be outed so like it's a terrible situation he's trying to figure it out um 
but he it it like he has to get out of his comfort zone and figure out like how to be himself um and be real with his friends and also like he just is so into this guy that he's been emailing and he doesn't want to lose him. So in the course of figuring all that out, um, that's the story, I guess. And, uh, and so, yes, so she says it's super heartwarming and really lovely. Um, and on top of that, I mean, we'll leave a link to the show notes, but she spent basically all last year reading happy YA. Um, and Mm -hmm. she did a storify of all of the recommendations that she got. So we'll put a link to that storify in the show notes because there's lots more there. Okay, Amanda, your turn. Okay, so my last pick for you is The Serpent King by Jeff Zentner, which comes out March 8th. So by so you'll need to wait a day or two by the time this show goes up. And this is one of my favorite YA novels that I've ever read. Uh, you're following three characters. Dill, who is the son of a Pentecostal snake-handling minister who was arrested for child porn. Not Dill, the... the Preacher. The preacher was arrested for child porn and is in jail, and so Dill has to deal with that disgrace. Um, Travis, who is a kind of bumbling giant of a guy who uh, has an abusive father, and he escapes his reality by being obs- by obsessively reading this one fantasy series over and over again. And Lydia, who is a fashion blogger who's kind of internet famous and um, lives with a well-off, normal family. And the three of them are best friends. They live in rural Tennessee. It's their senior year of high school, and they're just trying to make it. So they all have their own... Um, very different problems that they're dealing with in their life. And they are, and the book is really just about the three of them um, being together and supporting each other through their odd, but not at all odd, uh, really feely kind of issues. And the, the feeling that this book gave me when I read it was the same kind of feeling like in my heart space that I got when reading um, Perks of Being a Wallflower. So if you loved Perks of Being a Wallflower and have been looking for something similar to that, then that's this because Rainbow Rowell is kind of that like she's so great at writing the infiniteness of teenage angst you know what I mean like all the feelings that every teen has ever felt in life no matter where they're from or what their circumstances are Um, and this the Serpent King also really gets at that as well but I like that it takes place in rural Tennessee because that's not a setting you often get in um, any book much less YA so yeah it's the Serpent King by Jeff Zentner I'm going really fast because we're out of time and that comes out March (laughs) 8th that's it. We're not we're done. We're, done. we're, we're, done. we're good. Okay, great. We did so it. thanks for listening. Um, please rate us on iTunes to review us on iTunes. It makes the show easier to find. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL with two N's, J-E-N-N-I-R-L on Twitter. Um, what else? Thank you so much to our sponsors, Burning Glass and A Study in Charlotte. And that is all. We will see y'all next week. Bye.